Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. I would like to say Happy New Year. May God bless you in this year and uh, grow in the knowledge of God and being uh, guided, instructed in the way He would like you to go for the whole year. It's our privilege to open the Bible again this time and with a brand new study for the next uh, couple of months. And we invite you to join us each time to benefit of all of these um, beautiful instructions from God. We are going to look into the New Testament in the book of uh, Hebrew, a letter to the to the Hebrews and to us also, because uh, every single word of the Bible applies in a way or the other in our life too. I just want to quickly clarify something uh, before we go into our study today. Uh, for those of you who listened to our last program, we mistakenly uh, mentioned a few things there which um, we have to just clarify. We said about that um, Moses, which his name was uh, drawn from the water, was given by uh, his parents, but actually, as the Bible say it, it was given by uh, Pharaoh's daughter, the princess. And um, we just want to clarify that for you in case if you uh, thought that we were um, saying something which is not in the Bible. And just uh, apology for that one. I'd like to welcome our panel for today. Ken, good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. Wonderful to be here again for another interesting Bible study. Joe, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. It's great to be here. Look forward to an interesting discussion. Len, also, thank you for being part of the panel. Thank you for the welcome and hello, listeners. And Lija, it's good to have you with us. Oh, praise the Lord for this opportunity. We have the book of Hebrew in front of us, and it's a very interesting book from which we can draw lots of lessons. Helen, thank you for uh, putting together this uh, Bible study. You are our facilitator for today. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's such a blessing, isn't it, to be able to share every week. And thank you, Nick. Welcome to you as well. All right, Helen, thank you. And uh, over to you. Please take us through. Thank you. As we've already mentioned, that our new study is very, very similar to what we experienced today. Nick alluded to that. And in fact, I believe if we listen to the council in this most amazing letter, we will gain much encouragement as we come near to the second coming of Jesus. First, though, let's commence with prayer. Father, we pray that you will be with us as we study your word today. Give us new insights into your love and compassion as we as found in our study in Hebrews. Help us to think your thoughts and be lifted high above all the mundane issues of everyday life that so take up so much time. Help us to catch a vision of the future you have promised in your word, a hope centered in Jesus and what he has done and is doing for us. Thank you for your promise to always be with us no matter what we are going through. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Joe. That was just beautiful. And what we desperately need to, the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. Thank you. Ken, would you please kick us off and tell us what the letter is about in a nutshell, whom it was written to, and why was it needed? Well, it was written to the Hebrew people back in that time. And the Jewish or Old Testament practice for the remission of sins was encapsulated in the regular and frequent offering system. The major arguments in Hebrews revolves around the fact that Jesus brought a 
once for all sacrifice by giving his life for us on the cross so that there no longer remains a need for the Old Testament sacrificial system. All this pointed to Jesus Christ as our high priest. He was the great high priest who entered behind the curtain once for all to represent us before God and to open a new and living way. So we can approach God directly and with confidence because of Jesus' blood. So basically summing that up in very simple terms that all the practices and uh, things that the priests of the day had put in place really were replaced by Jesus Christ and this very simple system that he introduced. Thank you, Ken. That was in a nutshell. Thank you. Len, you wanted to say something. The listeners might be a bit puzzled about who actually wrote the book of Hebrews. From about the year 400 AD to 1600 AD, the Hebrews was entitled the Epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. However, scholars have noticed that there's a bit bit of difference in the writing style. And um, there's been questions whether it was actually written by Paul or maybe, maybe Barnabas or Apollos. But um, I think probably the most reasonable answer is this. Paul probably made sermons, preached sermons, which were written down by somebody else. So Paul was the author, but written by somebody else. It's considered these days that probably Paul was the writer or was the author of Hebrews, although he may not have actually written the actual words down. Thank you, Len. I agree with you. I went looking as well and came up with the same answer as you did. Lydia, you'd like to speak? Uh, Also, I found out um, uh, from the reading, as you read the, the book, it's very different than other Paul's writings because doesn't have an introduction as other um, letters has, so doesn't have any form of salute uh, and no thanks to anybody. Uh, and uh, also it appears that doesn't have a destination. But later on, as we read, we found out that it's written to, to Christians. Also, we observe that it's like a sermon. It's like an oral discourse. And because it uses the first person plural pronoun, we, us, and our, um, in, a, in a distinctive manner, uh, and also has several references to, to the king and uh, also has several references to speaking and hearing rather than writing and reading and in verse, uh, in, in chapter to verse 5, in chapter 5, verse 11, in chapter 6, verse 9, and uh, 8, verse 1, and 11, and verse uh, 32. Also, I would like to mention that uh, uh, the addressees are Christians, and uh, it's a mixed audience, uh, people of God who knows God, but they are uh, on the road of uh, uh, perfection. Thank you, Lydia. Yeah, I agree. It was addressed to Christians or believers, the the ones who had accepted Jesus, but then they experienced difficulties because the people needed also need to be written because the people needed to be reassured that Christianity was true and that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So, Len, maybe you can share from us from Scripture what are some of the difficulties that these people had experienced? 
Okay, well, this actually gives a reason why the letter was written to the Hebrews or the previously Jewish people who were now Christians. And in verse 32 of chapter 10, it starts off with the word remember. It says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light. And that's just referring back to when they first chose to become Christians. Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So here were some of the issues. The people were insulted, called names and things like that. They were persecuted. Uh, Their property was confiscated. Now the question is, who did this? Was it the Romans? Well, it may have been, but it seems that the most logical answer is that it was Jews. This is non-Christian Jews, Jew-Jews if you like, who were were not happy that these people whom had previously associated with the Jewish people were now split off and they were Christians. However, there may have been, even in their own congregation, people who were not happy about some of these Christian practices or the lack of practices that they had previously had. So there was a problem. And here the words of encouragement are given by the apostle to say, now look, remember what you went through before. Don't forget it, that you stood strong for Christ. And I think there's a good message for us as Christians. Stand strong for Christ. There will be persecution. There will be people who call us names and things like that. Stand strong for Christ like these people were were admonished to. Thank you, Len. I think that's a good motto for us as we start this new year, isn't it? Stand firm for Christ. I think that's excellent. Thank you. Lydia, would you share with us from Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 some other difficulties that they experienced, please? If you, if we read in Hebrew uh, chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So some of the Christians, they were very poor. And uh, they had probably a lack of money and they didn't have everything, whatever they needed at that time. But God, it says that we have to be content with what we have. And uh, probably in that time, they went to the struggle of lack of money also. Thank you, Lydia. So true. Lynn? Well, when you read the book of Acts, you can read the fact that these people were persecuted and... um, They were ostracized in many ways financially as well because on one of Paul's missionary journeys, he collected money to support the the Christians in Jerusalem 
most of whom had previously been Jews. So this is quite obvious that in the early days of the Christian church, the people were persecuted and ostracized and boycotted because of their faith. Um, also, uh, they became tired. They became tired of resisting, and that's something that can happen very easily, and began to question their faith. Now, the text comes from Hebrews 13, 12 and 13. It says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, as we know, outside the city. Let us go therefore unto him. Let us join us, join him rather, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Paul was writing to Jewish Christians, as already been man- mentioned, and they were converted to Christianity and they were they gladly suffered much initially. But it appears that under this relentless persecution, loss of assets, reproach, that they had actually started to waver and were now being tempted to revert back to Judaism because of this um, increasing persecution. While Judaism was a recognised religion in the Roman Empire, Christianity wasn't, okay? So it was religio licita, not illicita, but licita. Um, what this meant that as long as they were a pious Jew, you were protected. But if you converted to Christianity and professed faith in Jesus, you then became the target of persecution. Um, and as already been mentioned, not just only by the Romans, but perhaps more so the Jews, the fellow Jews who hadn't. So it would have been tempting to revert back to Judaism, and renounce, but they would have to renounce Jesus in that case. They would be welcomed back, but they would have to renounce Jesus in order to protect their families. And the temptation was there for many of them, perhaps. And Paul knew this, and this is why he wrote this letter to admonish them. And, of course, in that text, he says, don't be afraid to join your saviour and bear the reproach that he bore, to not doubt the way that you'd been led and waver in your resolve to follow him no matter what. Hebrews is a letter emphatically urging them to be strong. Jesus suffered outside the gate. He wasn't popular and not to shy away from sharing in his reproach and suffering. So I think it's basically sensing their wavering, sensing their, you know, losing grip, counting the cost, if you like, and he's saying to them, hey, Jesus suffered outside the gate. He bore reproach for us. Let us not be afraid in joining him there. Thank you very much, Joey. I agree with you. I was reading recently a comment that said spiritual fatigue results from a tendency to focus on ourselves, our suffering or loneliness, our failure, our inadequacy and our weakness. Better to focus on our Lord. And, um, yeah, look, I'm reminded years ago of a dear friend of mine who came from another belief and her family didn't, and um, she was ostracised. And it really wore her down until the end that she finally said, no, I need to go back and be with my family. And um, that was a very sad, sad case for us. But any one of us can get to that point. I hear people saying we've been listening for a long time, Jesus is coming, He's not here yet and people are tired. We need to absolutely focus on the Lord. Okay, but here we've got, we've seen their trials and persecutions, but now, Nick, share with us, was there some words of encouragement in Hebrews? Absolutely. Helen and uh, Paul, after his conversion, uh, being a persecutor, you know, he was a man of uh, good encouragement for all the people, for all believers 
I'd like to say one thing here before I will um, read a verse. These people, they came from a background where they were very indoctrinated in the in in a form of belief. You know, uh, uh, many of them maybe studied thoroughly uh, the Torah and um, the Bible, because uh, as we mentioned here, uh, these were Hebrew people. They were not uh, strangers to the will of God. And it's very hard sometimes to change some of those habits and indoctrination. And I would like to say that to us today as Christians, we may be born in a different faith, you know, or have a sort of uh, a teaching. And it's very hard to allow the Bible and the truth to stand for us rather than the, the way of, in which we were brought up. And this was probably a very important aspect of the Hebrew people when Paul dealt with them. Now, verse 36 in chapter um, 10 of, of Hebrew says this, and uh, you mentioned, Helen, about uh, did Paul have any words of encouragement? And it says this, uh, it says here like this, for you have need of endurance. So after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise and a bit earlier, Joe was just mentioning about the, uh, Paul alludes here to the thing which we'll, we'll call it uh, uh, righteousness by faith. We need to put our trust in God and we'll be perfected. That's the, the only way of coming out of disappointments, discouraging, uh, hardship, all those things which these people may encounter. But I would like to apply it for us today. We may encounter the same things. And the words of the Bible are the same for us today to encourage us all to be patient. And as he says here, uh, to endure, because after that, the will of God, the will of God will be seen in our life. Thank you so much, Nick. And I agree with you that we need to bring it into our lives today. It's very applicable. Yes, Joe. I guess it might be pertinent to remember um, that what the Jewish Christians were asked to do, it was a compromise that was very subtle on the surface. They weren't asked to go back to paganism or to do anything immoral. Uh, Judaism and Christianity ran parallel. There were so much, it was virtually the same religion both before and afterward. The only difference was that Jesus, the Messiah, had come. And so they could have easily slipped, easily slipped back into, you know, feeling at home where they'd been all along and felt safe. They weren't asked to live like the pagans lived. And so I guess there's a, a lesson here for us too that, you know, it might come to which day is the right one to worship. We all believe the same, but is it going to be this day or that day? Is it going to be this or that? And so this compromise is so subtle on appearance. I mean, it's, it's, it's really big when you unpack it, but it's actually appears on the surface. It's a very subtle difference. And I guess it's these small things that can make a huge difference in the long term. Amen. And that uh, reminds me that to know which is right and wrong is we need to be in the word every day um, through the power of the Holy Spirit for him to enlighten us. You know, Jesus did predict, though, that his followers would be severely persecuted by those who hated him. And I read that in Matthew 10, 22. And in the middle of terrible persecution, they and we can have hope. 
that salvation is ours. But, you know, we're talking about a time when some people had seen, you know, they came to see Jesus in person. But did these Hebrews, had they actually heard Jesus actually preach a sermon, Joe? No, it would appear not. It, um, it, in Hebrews 2, 3 and 4, it, it refers to spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by eyewitnesses. And then it was confirmed with signs, wonders, miracles and gifts of the Spirit given by God. So the Spirit gave the early church believers a conviction that their sins had been forgiven and they were not fearful of judgment. And as a result of their prayers were bold and confident and their religious experience was joyful. And I think this has been covered very well so far. Um, we know there were many miracles attending the lives of the early Christians, some who were imprisoned for preaching the word and proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah were miraculously freed. We will remember that the chains just fell off and they walked out of, of, out of prison. This was compelling evidence of the superiority of the power of God over the forces of evil and revealed that the kingdom of God had been established in their lives. So, no, while they did not have, never heard a sermon preached by Jesus, neither did Paul, but um, he came afterwards. And yeah, so, so yeah. Yeah, and we also are in the same category, aren't we? We haven't actually heard Jesus preach, but we do have his words. And um, I think it's interesting in Scripture it says somewhere not to forget our first love. But in Hebrews 10.32, let me share, it says, Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it may have meant terrible suffering. So I would ask any of the panel who would like to share just um, a two-minute testimony, perhaps, of your first love, of your conversion. Have I got any volunteers? Yes, thank you, Ken. When I first came to the Lord, when the Lord came looking for me, being Irish, we're very easygoing and enjoy things and don't get too hung up in things. And I was cruising along pretty good. And uh, when I uh, started to go to church, everyone was saying how wonderful it was to be with the Lord and all these sort of things. But I found it quite the opposite. I was having a really, really difficult time. All sorts of things started to go wrong. And I'm wondering to myself, what the devil's going on here? It was just absolutely crazy. And of course, being new in the faith, I really didn't understand a lot of things. But the Bible makes it very clear that until you come to the Lord, you're actually Satan's. And uh, so he doesn't bother with you because he's already got you. But once you stand up for Jesus, things start to change. But then, of course, as you go on and you go through that minefield at the start, then you get a bit more wisdom and a bit more understanding. It's a case of growing, isn't it? Len, would you like to share, please? Yes. Although I was brought up in a Christian home, there came a time in my life when I had to say, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to go the way of the world or am I going to go the way of the Lord? And I chose to go the way of the Lord. Now, I can't say I suffered persecution, but there certainly were temptations to choose another way. For example, I used to really like cricket. I was a cricket player, and where I was living in the country, there were cricket teams, and they played on Saturday morning, and I understood that the Saturday was the day that God set aside for worship, and so there was quite a pull. However, I decided that just playing cricket and enjoying myself wasn't worth sacrificing my eternal life. So I chose to serve the Lord 
and here I am now. Praise God. Thank you. Lydia? I do remember when I was in a primary school, starting from the first year, because we were Christians. We were quite few children in that school. We were very persecuted by the other children, by the other students. And uh, we, we have been called names all our lives. Wherever we went, people knew that we were Christians. But in a, they used a word which were, was very, very humiliating word. And um, I remember I just stood up straight and I was not afraid and I was not put down by, by their humiliation. And uh, in my heart, I stood up for Christ. And uh, uh, since then, my faith in God grew stronger and stronger. And I, I've never felt humiliated by them. Thank you so much. The thought came to my mind of uh, a holy boldness that came over you. And praise God for that. Thank you. Nick, would you like to share? Thanks. Yeah, well, just I just want to mention this, that uh, we all said that... Um, we were uh, Christians, but then uh, we were even treated um, one way or the other badly. When we say that we are Christians, I have to, to put it in the perspective here, because most of us, I believe, here on the panel, maybe every one of, of us on the panel, we have a Christian background. But what we are saying here, that we experience a conversion, that we uh, understood that the Bible is more important than the tradition of man, which was in the, in the Christian way. I came from, uh, you know, an Orthodox uh, background, uh, even though my mother was, uh, and her parents come from the war with the new belief, which Lydia mentioned that was that word, which was humiliating. I mean, for us was humiliating then. Uh, but now, looking back, that was a blessing to be called born again, because they used to mock us and say, oh, you are one of those born again people. What that means, born again, means that you are uh, baptized by the Holy Spirit and understand teachings of the Bible, not just going along with the teachings of men, even though you live in a Christian country. Romania at that time was a communist country and the religion was not necessarily very well appreciated, but the, Romania was still a Christian country, an Orthodox country. But um, giving our life to Jesus and becoming an Adventist, uh, a Seventh-day Adventist, that brought a lot of challenges for myself. I lost my job. I lost my friends. I lost uh, a lot of uh, opportunities for life, but didn't matter because when I was convinced in my heart and being born again, then all other things fail. It was not important, even though coming from a show business and the opportunities which we, I could grow and experience different things in a communist country. They were not important for me. And I think this is what we learn and we, we are also reviewing now the life of the Hebrew people, those people who make a move in their life and came out of their upbringing and they suffer a lot of persecution and, uh, you know, just being ostracized. I think that was hard for them, but the blessing was an apostle Paul is supporting them and, and encouraging them. Hey, just keep pressing on 
because God will not let you down. Oh, amen. Amen. Thank you for those that have shared. And I know there are some of us that haven't shared today, but most of us have gone through some sort of a suffering for the sake of Christ. And I read those words in the scriptures, suffering for the sake of Christ. But Ken, can you enlighten us on that, please? Well, to bear the reproach of Christ simply means to identify oneself with Christ and endure the shame and abuse that this association implied. Public animosity against Christians was the result of their distinctive religious commitments. People can get offended by religious practices that they don't understand or by people whose lifestyle and morals could make others feel guilty or ashamed. And I don't think anything's changed over the years. If we look around the world today, Christians all over the world are facing exactly the same sort of trials and tribulations that the early Christians faced So true. Thank you, Ken. Knowing that Christ suffered pain and faced temptation helps us also to face our trials because Jesus does understand our struggles because he faced them as a human being. And when you face trials, we need you and I, we need to go to Jesus for strength and patience. So we're going to share what the Bible tells us about how Jesus understands our needs and is able to help. So, Len, if you'd like to kick us off with Hebrews 2 verse 18. Which says, in referring to Jesus himself, it says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he was able to help those who are being tempted. So this is saying that Jesus suffered while he was being tempted, and he therefore is able to help us. So how was Jesus tempted? Well, not long ago we were talking about the temptation in the wilderness. And one of the greatest ones that Satan put to Jesus Why go through all this trouble? Why don't you just bow down and worship me and you don't have to go through all that? Jesus put him in his place and told him to to leave. Then there are two other main temptations. One was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus was arrested, before the crucifixion. And we know that it was very difficult for him. It says in the Bible that he sweat great drops of blood which is pretty extreme. But nevertheless, he said, Father, your will be done, not mine. And then, of course, when he was hanging on the cross, as it tells us in the uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, that the soldiers sneered at Jesus and said, Ah, (laughs) he saved others, let him save himself if he's the Christ. And then one of the thieves on the cross said, more or less the same thing. He says, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself and save us as well. All right. I don't know if any of you have been through a maze. That's where there are uh, somebody has made paths that wander around with hedges on each side and you can't see where you're going. It's very nice if you've got somebody who's uh, been there before and worked out where to go. And this uh, makes me think about Jesus because he suffered temptation, and it was greater temptation than any of us will ever have to face. And he came through. He he overcame. So how can he help us? Well, number one, because he's been there and done that, he can sympathize and understands what we go through. Secondly, because he overcame, that gives him power that we can also have, we can ask him 
for the power to overcome as he overcame. So he can help us two ways. He can sympathize with us, knows what what we're facing, and he can help us because he is the overcomer. Thank you, Len. I'm also reminded of the fact that just recently the world has gone through a season celebrating the birth of Christ, and he came as a baby, and he grew up as a young person, and he grew into a man. And the thing is, there isn't one person that's ever been born or will be born that cannot say that he doesn't understand even a child. He walked in their shoes. Uh, Lydia, would you share for us another text about our needs? Hebrews 4.15, please. Yes, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So again, we have the example of Jesus, that he was tempted like us in every way. The difference is that he came out without sin. So this is an encouragement for us to look upon Jesus and ask him for power and strength for us to overcome to every temptation. Amen. Thank you. Well put. Okay, Joe, what are we then admonished to do? Well, we've been admonished to, and I'll read from Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. It admonishes us to let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I think a key here for me also is in verse 22 that we didn't read. It tells us to draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. And this leads us into verses 23 and 25 because it tells us let our faith, let's have a faith that is real. We're just not going to go through the motions following traditional habit. You know, the one that he said to the Jews, you know, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so then we can hold on to our faith um, and God is there and there's no place of greater safety than with God. And with that, as the basis, we can then go on to encourage one another and uplift them and um, certainly don't stop going to church as some are in the habit of doing. Obviously, if you didn't go to church, they couldn't say, aha, look, they're congregating, let's go get them. So it admonishes us to press together, press together for spiritual strength and life. And even more so, as we see the day approaching, how is that pertinent for today? You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Um, And then he quotes from Isaiah and says, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. I think that's tremendous, tremendous promise. Fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, thank you, Joe. Uh, Nick, please share with us also from Hebrews what we're admonished to do. Yes, uh, Helen, I'll read from uh, chapter 13, a couple of verses here. Just before I do that, I just want to remind ourselves again and our listener that we are studying this um, book of Hebrew in the context of of these last days 
on, on the planet Earth. And the message of Hebrew is so relevant for us today. That's why uh, uh, our study for the whole um, uh, time, you know, the, this next few a couple of months, is in this regard, in the last day, the message of Hebrew for us all. It says this from verse 2, chapter 13, uh, Hebrew 13, verse 2. I will read up to verse 5, including verse 5. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I believe you see a couple of aspects here we, we can um, go through. Apostle Paul, or the author of this book, reminds us that we are in the same situation like the people back then and today. We're dealing with the same issues. We can be fornicators, we can be unhappy, and we can uh, be in, uh, jealous, and we can, you know, to cover other people's uh, things, all those things. And interesting enough that we are doing that in the culture we live in, in a, such a way that it's almost like acceptable. All those things, today, that's not a problem, you know, to to go in bed with another woman or to desire somebody else's thing, not necessarily that you go and grab it, but you know what I mean, uh, by business, by all those things. Not to say that today we are very cold, individualistic. We are not keen to put ourselves in the shoes of others. We always will say, particularly in the Western countries and in a country like ours, here, I will say, oh, the government provides, oh, this uh, it's provided for people. And we are kind of uh, excusing ourselves of the duties of a Christian. But God is reminding us here that if we do those things, actually that will enrich our life, our experience with God. And we should uh, go intentionally do those things, even though it's maybe unpopular these days. But we should push ourselves and intentionally reach out to people. Put yourself in the shoes of others. And there are many people around us who are uh, uh, in need of that sort of relationship with us as Christians. Thank you, Nick. Yes, I'm reminded of a statement my mother used to say is to walk in their moccasins. And, um, you know, I believe that even today there is a wide open field for us to obey the command to remember those in prison. It's not just, as you said, it's not just remembering them, but it's also just it's intentional doing something. Also, be careful as Christians who become materialistic, uh, saying by their actions that God can't take care of them or at least that he won't take care of them the way that they want to. And it is easy, my friends, to get discouraged in our walk with the Lord. In fact, I'm thinking of the story of Elijah 
And I think it will be good to see how God helped Elijah in his time of discouragement. So, Ken, I'm going to ask you if you could summarize briefly 1 Kings 19, 1 to 4 for us, please. Well, basically, we have the story of Elijah, who had been up in Mount Carmel, and uh, through him, God had done amazing miracles in front of all the people and in front of all the so-called other gods of Baal. And uh, it was really amazing what God had done. Well, then a short time after that, uh, Ahab, who was the king, was telling Jezebel that because of Elijah, the people had killed all the Baal prophets because they were false. The people realized, having seen fire come down from heaven, that there was one God, and that was the Lord God, Jehovah. So Elijah said, well, we need to get rid of all these other false prophets, so they were killed. But of course, Jezebel didn't believe this. She was uh, very keen on all of the prophets. So she uh, told Elijah through a messenger that uh, she was going to do her best to kill him. Well, Elijah, even though he was a great prophet and a man of God, uh, became very scared and frightened and ran off. And uh, he went to the desert and he was really down and depressed and wondering what he was going to do. And then basically an angel came to him and said, uh, you know, wake up. He had, he had fallen asleep at the time and the angel said, wake up, Elijah, there's food here for you because you've got a great journey to go on. And this happened a few times. And then eventually uh, Elijah said to God, Lord God, I have had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and fell asleep. But the Lord hadn't finished with him. And he provided, he got this unusual tree to grow up and give him shade, small shade, but enough for him, and some food as well. So again, we see an amazing prophet of God who basically had everything going for him. He had witnessed the power of God, and yet when he was told that his life could be ended, he, com- he collapsed in a heap and basically forgot all the wonderful things that God did. And I believe today, I think as Christians, we can fall into the same trap. Over our lives, I'm sure if we were to talk to each of us or all Christians out there, it, all, if not the majority, would have to say they have seen incidents in their life where God, they can clearly see, has done amazing things for them. But then something comes along, it may not necessarily be a big thing, but something comes along and it just knocks them for 10. It just bowls them over and they completely forget that they are a special child of God and he loves them and he wants to look after them. Amen. Thank you so much, Ken. Ledger, you have something to share with us? In Elijah's case, um, this reaction such as frequently follows high faith and uh, glorious success. success. Uh, at that time, Elijah feared that the reformation begun on Carmel might not be lasting, and depression seized him. He had been exalted to Pisgah's top. Now, in this moment, he, went, he was in the valley of discouragement. Uh, while under the inspiration of the of the God Almighty, he had stood the several trials of faith. But in this time of discouragement with Jezebel's threats sounding in his ears and Satan still 
apparently prevailing through the plotting of this wicked woman, Elijah lost his hold on God. He had been exalted above measure, and the reaction was tremendous. Forgetting God, Elijah fled on and on until he found himself in a dreary waste alone. Oh, yeah, that's um, quite um, quite interesting, his reaction. Yeah. Okay, Lynn, would you briefly summarize for us 1 Kings 19, 5 to 18? And here we have a reassurance. Well, this is very appropriate for the um, persecuted Christians uh, mentioned in the book of Hebrews, and it's very pertinent to us these days too. Ken was telling about Elijah fleeing from Jezebel because he was afraid his life would be taken from him, had gone to Beersheba, and after he was nourished with the food and water that the angel brought, he fled to Horeb. Now, I estimate that to be about 500 kilometres away, and I don't exactly know where it is, but it must have been a rocky place and perhaps there were cliffs and caves there. So Elijah went there into a cave and slept the night. And then the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah came up with his excuse. He said this a couple of times. He said, Oh, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me. And the Lord said to him, go outside this cave because I'm going to pass by you. And then there was a tremendous wind, tremendous wind, and then an earthquake and then fire. But the Lord wasn't in the f- any of those the Lord was in a, called a still, small voice. Now I wonder what God actually said to Elijah in his still, small voice. And this is very significant. The Lord demonstrated his power. He demonstrated his power at Mount Carmel, bringing fire down from heaven that consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and even the, the water round about. But the Lord showed himself in a still, small voice, which tells me quite a bit. It tells me that God doesn't want us to serve him out of fear. God wants us to serve him because we appreciate and understand who and what he is. The question, what are you doing here, Elijah, refocused him. And then the Lord promised, if you read on in First Kings 19, the Lord said, all right, I'm going to cause other people to root out a lot of the evil that existed in Israel at that time. Through other people, there was Hazael and Jehu, who were going to kill those who were bad. And then at the end, the Lord says in verse, verse 18, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. This must have been very encouraging for Elijah. He said, I'm the only one, Lord. I've done all what you've asked me to do. And 
Then the Lord reminded him that there were 7,000 others who were faithful to God. It's good to know there are other people who are faithful who want to serve the Lord too. The Lord is powerful, but the Lord wants us to understand through reason and words that we are saved not through demonstrations of earthquakes, etc., etc., but by simply understanding the word of God. Thank you, Len. It reminds me of the text that says, Be still and know that I am God. Lydia, yes. you wanted to say something briefly? I would like to draw a little lesson for us from, from uh, Elijah. Elijah was a committed servant of God, and he did just previously, he did a lot of things for God inside of, I mean, inside of people. He lifted up God's holy name. And uh, uh, as he said, he was high in faith. And after that, he went, he was very low. And uh, he was running uh, away from God. Uh, it says here he ran from God quite a few days in the desert, uh, 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. Uh, and he providing food uh, and rest. And uh, this happened quite a few times to restore his physical needs, his emotional needs. And uh, in the cave, God called him out of there, out of darkness of the cave, and um, reproved him uh, and helped him to gain a a deeper understanding of how he works and fulfills his uh, purposes. And uh, uh, after uh, God came before him, asked him twice, uh, what is he doing over there? And in the end, God says, go back and the way you came. It means God gave him a work to do and reassured him again uh, through his gentle whisper voice that to remind him of, of his mission and where from his strength comes. And this is a lesson for me to listen to God's voice and trust in him in a lower time. Thank you for sharing that, Lydia. Yes, we're living in the last days and we can gain great wisdom from Scripture and how we can get through the troubled times. Nick, um, would you just share, please, Hebrews 1 verse 2? We're almost at the end. Yes, Helen, and that's a beautiful passage. But just just allow me a few seconds to add something to what has been said about Elijah, because it's not accidentally that we're mentioning Elijah in our study today. His faith or about himself, it's all done and dusted, you know. Elijah is, uh, finished his uh, walk on this earth. But what I want to say is that I am an Elijah, and you may be an Elijah too having your highs with God, but also your lows with God. And I'd just like to encourage it as we learn from Elijah that God will never leave us and forsake us, as we just mentioned a bit earlier. You may know if you study the Bible that uh, it's mentioning, it's a mention of a couple of Elijahs there. I mean, Elijah and his work in the Old Testament, but we know also about the second Elijah, And you may come across that and makes reference to John the Baptist being the second of second Elijah. Do you know who's the third Elijah? 
that may be you. And you have a great work to do, like Elijah, Elijah had in the Old Testament, like John the Baptist had in the New Testament. You may have a great work to do for God, regardless of your high and lows. You just need to give yourself fully to God. And this is what says in, um, in the first chapter of Hebrew, verse 2, as you mentioned, Helen. I'm reading this. says, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. We have Jesus Christ on our side. We have Jesus Christ, the victorious Jesus, conquering everything, being victorious at the cross. He is our eldest brother, as the Bible puts it. He is our helper. He is our mediator. He is God for us. We should not discourage. We should be blessed that we are able to serve a God like him. Thank you. Um, Okay, Uh, Joe, would you just share with us, please, about what Paul um, was finally warned to do? Yes, um, Paul gives us further warning. I guess we could summarise all the warnings in, in these three sections. And first he exhorts them to hold fast to the confession and profession of their faith and to fix their eyes upon Jesus not wavering or counting the cost. Secondly, he exhorts them against immorality and covetousness uh, because those indulging in these, God will judge. And to be content with such things as um, they have to not covet. And I might draw that out further to not even covet the supposed peace that those who have compromised appear to have. So they were to covet nothing because God would provide all all for all their needs. Finally, he exhorts them to observe and obey their leaders. And Paul teaches them, as in says in verse 7 of chapter 13, and we could probably look up 17, but anyone who's interested could look it up themselves, is to be mindful of those leading you who spoke the word of God to you, of whom consider the results of their conduct and the fruits of their lives and imitate their faith because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So these people um, watched over their souls, and they were to to submit to them, but only as they imitated Christ. And so this is one of the other things that Paul warned against. Um, so that's that kind of summarizes what we've been talking about today, Helen. Thank you, Joe. I just want to finish up with sharing a few words with you before we have prayer with Lydia. Let me just share. For the disheartened, there is a sure remedy, faith, prayer, work. Faith and activity will impart assurance and satisfaction that will increase day by day. Are you tempted to give way to feelings of anxious foreboding or utter despondency? In the darkest days when appearances seem most forbidding, fear not. Have faith in God. He knows your need. He has all power. His infinite love and compassion never weary. Fear not that he will fail of fulfilling his promise. He is eternal truth. Never will he change the covenant he has made with those who love him. And he will bestow upon faithful servants a measure of efficiency that their need demands. 
the Apostle Paul has testified. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that was from 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. So just remember that through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can remain strong in these last days. Lydia, will you close with prayer for us, please? Thank you. Holy Father in heaven, thank you so much that you remind us again that in our time as we are living now, you give us examples from the past when you looked after your people that in the same time you look after ourselves in our days. Father, please help us to keep our faith and commitment to you. Despite rejection and uh, different types of persecution that will come across. Help us, Father, not to be discouraged, but be reminded again about our mission and where from our strength comes from, that it's only from you. Father, please help us to remain an Elijah at a higher faith, to hold fast on your faith and stay closer to you. And hear your whispering voice that you are there for us anytime. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he sympathized with us and he can give us the power and help us to overcome any temptations. Father, thank you so much for everything. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for uh, participating today. A wonderful uh, Bible study. Looking forward to explore more in the book of Hebrews and to learn and apply in our life. We learned today that uh, God will never leave us. Uh, you know, God is with us. And God be with you as you step into this uh, new year. And please keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.